Good morning and welcome to Dorchester Community Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name's David and I'm a part of the leadership team here at Dorchester Community Church and it's fantastic to be able to welcome you. It's great to have so many people here with us in person and it's great if you're joining us online via YouTube. And we pray that wherever you are, whether you're here with us in church or whether you're sat in your front room with your dressing gown and your cup of coffee, that you will have an authentic experience of God speaking to you this morning. We're going to be uh, worshipping God in song and in prayer, and we're going to be looking at God's Word. Last week, we started looking at this book called Proverbs. It's kind of one of those uh, Ron Seal, it does what it says on the tin kind of books. It is full of Proverbs. Um, short snippets of pithy wisdom, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter what you believe, there will be something in the book of Proverbs that you can take and you can apply to your life. But throughout all the little bits and pieces we find in the book of Proverbs, we find a theme that runs throughout it all. And that is asking the question, How, in the midst of all the problems and the challenges and the circumstances that I face in my life, am I supposed to honour God and bring him glory? The book of Proverbs is a book that is often used by preachers. I would guess that most preachers in most of their sermons will quote from the book of Proverbs. But because of its very kind of bitty nature, it's not often a book that is preached on at length. But uh, starting last week and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what God has to say to us about various aspects of our lives through the book of Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to be looking at what God has to say to us about our work and our employment. And really, that's going to be flowing out of uh, Proverbs 16, verse 3, which says, commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. What does God have to say to us about our work and our employment? We're going to be unpacking some of that later in the service. But first of all, we're going to be worshipping God in song. And then Mark is going to be leading us in our prayers. We're just going to spend some time uh, in prayer. So um, let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are here with us today. Thank you that uh, wherever we gather, you are there too. And your Holy Spirit is upon us as we meet this morning. Lord, we ask that we would uh, open our ears to listen to you this morning, to what you would like to say to us. Father, we, the theme this morning is about work. So we often forget to pray about our work situations, but we do bring it to you now. First of all, we'll pray for those who maybe don't have work, who would like work. We pray that you would be with them, give them your patience and a a route into work. It's quite easy to pray, but if you're in that situation, it's desperately hard. So we just ask for your presence to be clearly with those people who are are without work and and really feel that, that loss. But we thank you that what we do or do not do does not define us and that you look, us, look at us with uh, dispassionate eyes. Our worth to you is in our character and in our response to you. And for those of us in work, we thank you for it, although sometimes that can be quite hard. Sometimes if you're in a job that you may not be particularly enjoying or feeling particularly fruitful. But again, we'd ask for your patience. And Lord, we just ask that uh, uh, the work where we are placed, that you would use us that you would help us to be a positive influence in the workplace, whether that's uh, uh, making friends or having a quiet word. Lord, we just pray your your, your blessing upon our work um, in all those manners, whatever it is, whether it's office work or health work or building work with your hands, whatever it is. Lord, you're interested in us and you want us to, uh, to, to, to work well and to be diligent at it. 
So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Just as a side, have you ever wondered or thought about, I'm getting nowhere with prayer? But what, what would happen if God was actually listening? Would that make us pray or think a little bit differently? I don't know about you, but sometimes for myself, I can find that, that prayer is a little bit of a routine um, and something that kind of is a, a little bit of add-on. But something we've been sort of like thinking about is, is God is really interested in us and what we're doing, whether that's work or whether at the home, whatever it might be. Most of us, I guess, have prayed the Lord's Prayer on, on probably a lot of occasions. You know, we start off, don't we? Um, our Father, who art in heaven... Yes. Uh, hang on, don't, don't interrupt me, God, I'm, I'm praying. But you called me. Called you? No, I didn't, I'm praying. Our Father, who art in heaven. There. You did it again. Did what? Called me. You said, our Father, who art in heaven. Well, here I am. What's on your mind? I didn't really mean anything by it, you know. I was just saying my prayers, you know. I always say the Lord's Prayer. It makes me feel kind of good and like I'm fulfilling a duty, really. Well, all right. Go on. Okay. Hallowed be thy name. Hold it right there. What do you mean by that? By, by what? By hallowed be thy name. Well, it means, um, well, it, um, well, I just don't know what it means, really. How, how, how should I know what it means? It's just part of the prayer. But, but what, what does it mean, then? It means honoured, holy, wonderful. Hmm, I suppose that makes sense, actually. I've never really thought about what hallowed meant before. Thanks. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really mean that? Yeah, sure. Why not? What are you doing about it? Well, doing? Um, nothing, I guess. I just think it would be kind of great if uh, you kind of got control down here on Earth, like you have up there. We're in a bit of a mess at the moment, you know. Yes, I know. But have I got control of you? Well, I go to church. That isn't what I asked you. What about your bad temper? You've really got a problem there, you know? And then there's the way you spend your money, all on yourself. And what about the kind of books you read? Mm-hmm. All right, Just hold on a bit, hold on. It just feels like you're picking on me a bit at the moment. I think, you know, I'm just as good as some of the rest of the folks here. You know, these people at church. Excuse me? I thought you were praying for my will to be done. If that is to happen, it will have to start with the ones who are praying for it. Like you, for example. Oh, well, okay. I I guess I do have some problems now that you come to mention it. And I could probably list a whole lot more. So could I. (laughs) Okay, I haven't thought about it much until now. But I would really like to, actually. Can, we, can, I, can you get me to help me cut out some of those things? You know, I'd be, like to be quite free of them, really. Good. Now we're getting somewhere. We'll work together. You and me. I'm proud of you. Look, Lord, if you don't mind, I, can, can we finish up here? It's uh, taken a lot longer than it usually does. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. You need to cut out the bread. You're overweight as it is. Hey, easy now, come on. I'm just doing my religious duty, and all of a sudden you break in and remind me of all my hang-ups. Praying is a dangerous thing. You just might get what you ask for. Remember, you called me, and here I am. It's too late to stop now. Keep praying. We'll go on. I'm a bit scared to now. Scared of what? Well, I just know what you're going to say. Try me. 
Okay. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What about Anne? See, I just knew it. I knew you'd bring her up. I know, Lord. But she's told lies about me. She's spread stories. And she never paid that money back she owes me. I'm going to get even with that girl. But your prayer. What about your prayer? Well, I didn't really mean it. Well, at least you're honest. But it's quite a load carrying all around that bitterness and resentment, isn't it? Yeah, but... I feel so much better when I get even with her. And boy, have I got some plans. She'll wish she'd never been born. No, you won't feel any better. You'll feel worse. Revenge isn't sweet. You know how unhappy you are. Well, I can change that. You, you can? Really? How? Forgive Anne. Then I'll forgive you. And the hate and the sin will be Anne's problem, not yours. You will have settled the problem as far as you are concerned. Oh, okay. I think you're right. You you usually, well, actually, you always are. More than I want revenge, I do want to be with you, Lord. Okay, okay, right. I'll forgive her. There now, wonderful. How do you feel? Hmm, not, Not bad, actually. I feel pretty good, in fact, I think I'd say. Do you know, I think I'm going to go to bed tonight not so uptight. Do you know, I haven't been getting the rest I need recently. Yeah, I know. But you're not through with your prayer, are you? Go on. Oh, all right, okay. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Good, good. I'll do that. Just don't put yourself in a place where you can be tempted. What, what, what do you mean by that? You know what I mean. Yeah, okay, I know. Go on, finish your prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you know what would bring me glory? What would really make me happy? No, but I'd like to know. I want to know if that's okay, please. I've really made a mess of things, but I truly want to follow you. I can see now how great that would be. So tell me, how do I make you happy? You just did. Thank you, Mark and Jane. Wasn't that great? It was great, wasn't it? This little boy at the front here said, prayer's not a dangerous thing. (laughs) Prayer's only dangerous if we like to stay in our comfort zones. But prayer's never dangerous. No, that's right. And remember, Mark, God is always right. And your wife is usually right too. <laughs> it's 6.30 in the morning. It's a Monday morning and that familiar sound. The alarm clock goes off. Come on, you've got to wake up. I don't want to wake up. You've got to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. Why do I have to get out of bed? Come on, you've got to get in the shower. I don't want to have a shower. Come on, you've got to go and have your breakfast. But I don't want to have my breakfast. Why should I have my breakfast? Come on, you've got to get out the front door and go to school. I don't want to go to school. Why should I have to go to school? It's not fair. The children hate me and call me names and all the teachers gang up on me. Why should I go to school? Look, you've got to go to school because you're 43 and you're the headmaster. (laughs) Sometimes work is great, isn't it? And we love to go to work on a Monday morning. Sometimes it stinks. You know, we've been looking at this uh, book of Proverbs and seeing what God has to say to us about different aspects of our life. And this morning we're going to be thinking about our work, our employment, what it is we do, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. Um, those of you who are particularly observant and have read your, uh, your uh, newsletter you get on a Saturday or have looked at the church website will notice 
that I am not Roger Frapwell. And uh, it's quite ironic, isn't it, that on the morning that Roger was supposed to be preaching on work and our attitudes to it, he phones me up at eight o'clock and says, I feel really, really, really poorly. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. And he said, you'll probably be able to have a good laugh at my expense. Well, it is kind of ironic. I have to say, in the 17 years I've known Roger, this is the first time this has ever happened. Roger has preached when he's been feeling really, really poorly. I don't think it's fair to expect Roger to preach when he's actually completely lost his voice. We had a very interesting phone call this morning when he sounded like an adolescent boy. Um, Roger actually is very committed, and as I was thinking about it, so are the rest of our staff, the people that work for the church, and we should seek to honour them uh, in what they do for God. Honouring God in the workplace. You know, the average one of us, over the time of an average life, will spend 150,000 hours at work. That's a lot of hours, isn't it? It's about 40% of our waking life. And perhaps if you're a parent, a mother of young children or a father of young children, that's probably going to increase to 100% of your working hours. In the 1970s, it was estimated that the average person who worked full-time worked 40 hours a week. Ten years later, that had risen to 46 hours a week. If you are a professional, then it's likely you spend 52 hours a week at work. If you run a small business, that will probably increase to 57 hours a week and all the rest. Sadly, there is a situation where some people think that the more they work, the better person they are, or the better status they're going to achieve in the workplace, the better people, their colleagues and their employers will think of them. And so we get into this habit, don't we, of spending more time working, doing more overtime, working when we're at home, thinking about work when we're on holiday at weekends. You know, for a long time, businesses have battled with something called absenteeism, people not turning up to work. Some switched-on businesses are now battling something else, what they call presenteeism. In other words, people who, whatever the circumstances, turn up to work because they think it's better if they're at work, and yet they're achieving very little. And some bosses think it's better, actually, if you can only come to work when you're supposed to come to work, and when you're at work, you achieve something. We probably all spend more time working, commuting to work, thinking about work, than we will eating, drinking, relaxing, going on holiday. Work dominates our lives, doesn't it? And for many of us, it dominates our lives more than we think. Rob Parsons, uh, the uh, initiator of Care for the Family, said, no one ever said on their deathbed, if only I'd spent more time at the office. (laughs) And that kind of comment makes us think that actually it's very difficult to marry up our work life, our employment life, and our spiritual lives. It makes us feel like we should have a work bit of our life and a God bit of our life. But, you know, Scripture says, actually, our honouring God and our seeking to glorify God should flow through all of our lives. In which case, what is it that God has to say about our work life? What does God think about us when we're spending time at work? and not perhaps doing churchy, holy, spiritual things. Is God against work? No, far from it. In fact, it's very clear from the story of creation and what we read in the book of Genesis that God has created us to work, and we are to work six days a week. And on the seventh day, we are to honour and glorify God. But we should be honouring and glorifying God through our six days of work as well. We've been created 
to work. And we feel often a sense of purposelessness and worthlessness if we're not working, if we're not doing something creative and constructive. God says he wants us to succeed at work. When we talk about work, that shouldn't be limited to our paid employment, but rather should extend to everything that we do. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. That's an amazing promise, isn't it, from God's word about something that we might be tempted to think is a secular, non-God, non-spiritual part of our life. But, you know, along with that promise, as with most promises in Scripture, it is set in the context of God's purposes for our lives. If you like, along with the promise comes a premise. God says, commit your work to the Lord, and then it will succeed. Which begs the question, well, what does that mean? Commit your work to the Lord. How are we supposed to commit our work to the Lord? We want to succeed. We want there to be value in what we do. How should I commit my work to the Lord? And we're going to look very briefly as we look at various aspects of work that are highlighted in the book of Proverbs at four things that God says we can do to commit our work to him. First of all, we can seek God's direction in our work. What is it, God, that you want me to do as I work? We can seek to sharpen our skills. All of us have abilities and gifts that God has given us, which relate to our workplace, to what we do every day. We can either sit on those and squander them, or we can hone them and sharpen them for God's glory. Thirdly, we should seek to honour God with what we earn. If you've been around church for any length of time, you'll probably have heard something called tithing being talked about, which is an Old uh, Old Testament idea of giving back to God 10% of what we earn at work. That can become a legalistic thing if we're not careful. But nevertheless, giving back to God from what we earn in our workplace should be a heart thing. It should be a thing we do because we want to. And fourthly, we should seek to keep going. When the going gets tough, the tough get into bed. Roger did say, he said, when you get to that one, you can have a good laugh at my expense. (laughs) We're going to be looking at those uh, points closer uh, later on in the service. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't work. I don't get up on a Monday morning and go to school or a place of work. Maybe you're retired, or for another reason you don't work. Let me tell you, whatever your situation is, there is always work to be done. There is always something that God has given you to do. Maybe you're retired, or you're elderly, or perhaps you're infirm, and you feel, well, actually, I can't do what other people do. There is no such thing as retirement for the Christian that wants to honour God. Because whatever you're able to do, while you are mentally and physically able, you should seek to use your time wisely and fruitfully for the benefit of other people and for the glory of God. What has God called you to do? And how has he called you to honour him in your life in that respect. We're going to unpack some of those things. We're going to sing again. And then uh, Eve is going to bring us a reading from the New Testament. Good morning. The reading today is taken from uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, and then 22 to 24. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since, as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Thank you, Eve, for bringing us God's word and for Martin for leading us in worship. How then should we seek to honour God in our work life? First of all, we should seek God's direction. Proverbs 15 verse 8 says, The Lord is pleased when good people pray. Hold that word pray in your mind. Proverbs 16 verse 20 says, He who plans a thing will be successful. Hold that word plan alongside the word prayer. Because those two things go together. Prayer, prayer and planning. And you know, one of those things that runs through Proverbs as a theme is the idea of a planned and a thought-out life that is honouring to God. You know, there are times in your life when you have to plan ahead, aren't there? Often at pivotal moments in your life, perhaps when you're at school and you're thinking about what exams to take, or perhaps you leave school and you're thinking about college and university. Maybe you're going out into your first job, or maybe you're thinking about a career change. Or how about the time when actually your career comes to an end and you retire, but you realise you've still got a life ahead of you, and you're thinking, what should I be doing now? And each and every one of us will have stories of times in our lives when we've had to make decisions about our future. When that happens, do you ask God what he wants you to do with your life? It's a question we often ask when we are young, perhaps when life goes wrong, when we lay down a ministry in a church, when we've been doing something in church and that comes to an end and we have to then move on. Proverbs 13 verse 16 says, a wise person thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and he even brags about it. Some people love spontaneity, don't they? They hate to organise things. They hate to make plans. They love that idea of going with the flow. And life can sometimes feel like it's fun when we go with the flow, when we're spontaneous. But, you know, that's not always the best way to live your life. Usually, the planned and thought-out life is the life that gets things done. So to be positive in our work, whether it's paid or unpaid work, let's ask God what his plans are for our work life. Let's seek his direction, pray and plan ahead. I don't know if you've ever been called into one of those sort of business meetings, perhaps at work, and someone says, oh, you know, we're going to come up with a five-year plan, a seven-year plan. We're going to come up with a 10-year plan. And uh, yes, there's a few snorts of derision I detect. There's nothing worse than a five-year plan, is there? Because normally what it means is the bosses haven't got a clue what they're going to do, but they've got to put something on paper. But you know, there is a very real sense in which God expects us to think about the future. God expects us to be mindful of what we are going to achieve for him over time. God, where do you see me in 5, 10, or 15 years' time? And before you say, oh, I'll be dead by then, just, just capture the essence of that. No, don't worry, I'm sure you won't be. <laughs> you know, God has a plan for each and every one of us. And we can bury our head in the sand and completely ignore that, or we can say, God, 
I want to be a partner with you in that plan. I want to engage in your plan for my life. Why is that so important? Well, I would suggest because if we're not engaged with God's plan for our life, we can feel like we have no purpose. We can feel like we're useless to God. You know, God's family, the church, is like a jigsaw. And each part of the jigsaw is a different shape. And we are one of those parts of the jigsaw. And you know, there is a Martin-shaped piece to the jigsaw that is Dorchester Community Church. And there is a Charlene-shaped piece. And there is an Alan-shaped piece and an Eve-shaped piece. And you know what? For the jigsaw to be complete, we all need to slot our piece into the jigsaw and some of us might think we're not very important pieces and we might think we're odd shaped pieces and we find it difficult to fit into the jigsaw but do you know what god has planned out that jigsaw and each and every single piece is vitally important if the picture is to be complete god what is your plan for my life because i need to be engaging with that And I want to fit my odd little shaped, unimportant part of the jigsaw, a piece, into the jigsaw. Secondly, we should seek to sharpen our skills. You know, God has given us each individual talents and gifts and spiritual gifts. Because when God made us, he made us for a reason. He made us with something to do. And he doesn't just set us out without equipping us, but he equips us with what we need to do what he has called us to do. But, you know, we can take those gifts and those abilities and those spiritual gifts and we can sit on them and squander them and not use them and let them go to waste. Or we can seek to sharpen and hone what we have been given. Ecclesiastes 10. Ecclesiastes is, if you like, the sister book to the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 10 says, if your axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Is anyone in the chopping wood? Anyone got a log burner? Yeah, one or two hands go up. My father-in-law has a wood burner, and he is obsessed by his wood burner and by chopping logs. But it keeps him very, very happy, and it keeps everybody else very warm, even when it's the middle of August and we still have a blazing fire going. But I'm sure he will tell you that when his axe is dull and it's not very sharp and he hasn't bothered with it, it's actually really hard work to chop the wood. In fact, he says wood burning makes you hot twice because you get hot while you're chopping the wood and then you get hot while you're burning it. One of the few wise investments my wife and I made when we were first married was a set of um, Vostoff cooking knives and they're fantastic, but they lose their edge. But you know, it only takes a few runs down the iron and they get their edge back and all of a sudden it's easier to chop the vegetables and I'm less likely to chop a finger off. If you have a dull axe, you're going to use more energy and the work is going to be harder. Hone the skills that God has given you. Work smarter and not harder. You know, there's a saying, isn't there, that the cream rises to the top. I don't know if you, I don't think you get it anymore now, but I remember when I was a child, we used to have pints of milk and there was always a big row over who was going to have the top of the milk on their cereal. I remember on Saturday, we used to go out and we'd be allowed to buy a bottle of gold top milk and the top of the milk went almost all the way to the bottom. The cream rises to the top. You know, that's true in life. People who work smart get to the top. That's not just a secular kind of thing but that's something we find in scripture as well you look at the stories of joseph of daniel of david they were men who god gave skills to but they didn't squander those skills instead they honed and they sharpened them but you know what they didn't go to university or to college to sharpen those skills they didn't even embark on an online learning course course They didn't go to Bible college 
to hone the skills that God had given them. They honed those skills in adversity and hardship. Think about the story of Joseph. Joseph, we know, when he was a young boy, he was given the gift of interpreting dreams. And without honing that skill, he tried to use it and he made a horrific mess of it. And because of that, his brother sold him into slavery. He was taken in captivity to a foreign land. He was made the servant of a man called Potiphar, whose wife tried to seduce him and then accused him of sexual assault. And he was thrown into prison and he languished. And in all of that, he honed the gift that God gave him. So that at the end of his life, He could say to his brothers, you intended it for harm. God meant it for good. Hone the skills that God has given you. Don't work harder, work smarter. How do we do that? How do we hone those skills? Well, that goes through a spirit of being willing to learn. Did you finish learning on the very last day you left school? Or have you carried on learning? You know, we can all learn by trial and error. Sometimes the best way to learn is just to get on and do something and be prepared to make mistakes. Because every time you make a mistake, you can put it down as a failure or you can say, that is a hill on which I am going to climb. Learning by mistakes is often painful, and it's hard, and it hurts. But often, it is the best and most succinct way to learn a lesson. We never forget the lessons we learn when that lesson was painful. There's a lot to be said for learning by doing. But there is also a lot to be said from learning from listening, We can learn from other people, can't we? You know, sometimes it's wise to learn from experience, but sometimes it's wiser to learn from the experience of other people. I don't have the time to make all the mistakes I need to make in order to learn what I need to learn. And so often we can sharpen our skills by listening to other people. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Get all the advice you can... And you will succeed. Without it, you will fail. If there's something you want to get involved in in church, if there's something that you feel God has called you to, why not seek people out in the church you know have got experience, that you know have been involved in whatever you want to get involved in? Talk to them. Listen to them. Find out what they have done that has worked. Find out, more importantly, what they have done that hasn't worked. So you don't have to learn the lesson in quite the same way that they do. Build a network of people who can help you improve. You know, we sometimes talk about discipling in church, don't we? We can disciple each other. Discipling simply means to learn. A disciple is a learner. If we have got experience, we can share that experience with other people so they don't have to make the same mistakes that we do. As Christians, we should want the very best for each other and we should want the very best for God. Why not learn from each other and help each other to learn? Thirdly, we should seek to honour God with what we earn. Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10 say, Honour the Lord by giving him the first part of all of your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Another promise, but again, like so many of the promises in Scripture, the promise comes with a premise. The promise is set in the context of God's purposes for our lives. Honour the Lord by giving him the first part, the best, the first of all that we earn, all that we make, all that we have, all that God gives to us, and then he will fill our barns to overflow. If we honour God 
with the first part of what we make, he will bless what we do by way of our work, whatever that might be. I wonder if I uh, give you a list of names, if you would know what all of these people have in common. William Colgate was the founder of Colgate Toothpaste. Henry Crowell was the founder of Quaker Oats Corporation. William Proctor was the founder of Proctor and Gamble. I guess if you go and look in the cupboard under your kitchen sink or in your bathroom cabinet, probably three quarters of those jars and bottles will have Proctor and Gamble written on them. Wallace Johnson was the founder of, uh, founder of the Holiday Inns hotel chain. Robert Welch, the founder of Welch's Grape Juice. What do all those people have in common? I'll tell you. All of them have published testimonies explaining the difference that God made in their business and specifically what they referred to as making God a business partner. What does that mean? Being prepared to give back to God from what he had given them. And you know, the funny thing is some of them said, we started off by giving back to God 10% from what he gave us. And then we found we could give 15 and 20% and 30%. And you know, some of them, when they died, were giving to God 90% of what they earned and living off the 10%. They made God a business partner in their lives. You know, the great uh, motorway construction magnate, Sir Ian Lang, once was being interviewed by the BBC... And they asked him all about his wealth and his spiritual life. How can you call yourself a Christian and be so wealthy? And he said, well, you see, it works something like this. God shovels the money in and I shovel the money out. Okay, said the rather confused reporter, but if you shovel all the money out, how come you're still so rich? Ah, he said, God's got a bigger shovel. This isn't about pounds and dollars and profits and figures, as it were. We shouldn't make a legalistic rule about giving to God. But giving back to God from what he gives to us is a very real way in which we can honour God and be positive about God's input into our working life. This isn't about how much we give. This is about the heart with which we give back to God. Are we giving back to God because there is an expectation from other people? Or we've heard perhaps a very challenging sermon and we're feeling guilty? Or because we want to honour God in our working life. You know, we've had an exceptional two years or 18 months whilst this whole COVID pandemic and then a whole bunch of other problems have followed in on the back of that. And I know for a lot of people, life is difficult right now. Businesses are struggling like they've never struggled before. And a lot of people are out of work or having to accept less money than perhaps they did. If you can't give to God what you were giving two years ago or five years ago, do you know, God doesn't mind as long as you are giving to God with a cheerful and worshipping heart. Now, I know that thinking back over the times that my wife and I have been married, there have been times when we have had to reduce the amount we've given to the church. That hasn't felt necessarily a good thing, but I have known it's been the right thing. And likewise, it's been the right thing that we can then increase that giving when we've been able to. Maybe you don't work. Maybe you have absolutely nothing financially that you can give to God. But you can still give to God of your time and of your energy and of the skills and the gifts that he has given to you. You can still make God a partner in what you're doing. And I would challenge you to earnestly seek God's, uh, God's uh, purpose for your life in that respect. 
And lastly, we should seek to keep going. You know, another persistent uh, theme, if you like, throughout the book of Proverbs is the theme of persistence, keeping going. There's a character who appears from time to time in the book of Proverbs called the Sluggard. It's a great name, isn't it? The Sluggard. The sluggard is the lazy guy. The sluggard is the guy who wants to stay in bed in the morning. The sluggard is the guy who can't be bothered, who's going to go for the easy option if there is one. And there's various uh, proverbs where it says something like, the lazy guy does this, but the diligent person does this. The sluggard does this, but the persevering man does this. Proverbs 12:24 says, diligence brings a person to power. If you like, we conquer the hills in our lives by continuing, keeping on, keeping on. You know, when we have our church meetings, we've just had a, our church AGM, but when we have our church AGM and our church members meeting, uh, we have them twice a year, one of the things we like to do is to lay out our goals for the year. As a leadership team, we sit down once a year and we try to discern God's will for this church in very practical terms. What is it, God, that you want us to be looking at this year? What is it that you want us to achieve? What new things do you want us to do? And we're going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks as a leadership team. And I would urge you to pray for us as we seek God's will for the next year in, in Dorchester Community Church. But usually the first thing we say as a goal for the year is to keep doing what we're already doing. Keep doing what we're already doing. You know, it's easy when there's a, a new ministry idea, when there's a new and exciting opportunity in the church, and it's shiny and exciting and it looks good and everyone's very excited. And for the first two or three weeks, it's so exciting and it's easy to put all your effort and energy into it. And then after three months, it sort of gets a little bit less exciting and a bit less easy. And after a year, you're starting to wonder if you should ever have got this going. And after two years, you just really, really wish it could come to an end. Sometimes the hardest things in life are simply to keep going. Somebody asked the missionary, William Carey, what is the secret of your success? And his answer was this, I can plod. Do you know how to do that? To be a success in life, usually you don't have to be a genius. You just have to be persistent. We don't have to be a genius. We don't have to be amazing. We just have to keep going. And God will help us to do that. I don't know what all of your circumstances are. I know one or two of your situations. But I would guess that some of you are probably fed up with your jobs. You're sick. You're tired. You're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You don't like your job. You're ready to chuck it in. And maybe that's the right thing for you to do. But before you do, think about what motivates you to go to work, to do the things that God has laid in front of you. We can have external motivations. We can want to do what we do because it earns us money. It pays the mortgage. It puts food on the table. We can do what we want to do because it gives us praise from our colleagues and from our bosses, those around us. It makes us look good if we do the job well. There's nothing wrong with either of those motivations. They are both wholesome and healthy motivations in context. But what about another motivation, a third thing, an eternal motivation? You know, Eve read to us from the book of Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not men or women 
Remember that the Lord will reward you for Christ as the real master you serve. If we are a Christian, if we seek to honour God in whatever we're doing, we have to treat our workplace, all the things we do, the things that God has laid in front of us, as if God is our boss. Because ultimately, he is the one that we will have to answer to. Maybe you're in a workplace where you have to have an annual appraisement or an annual review. And uh, I don't think those things are ever particularly positive events, are they? Are they? And uh, it's one of those things that employers do because they have to tick the box and everybody dreads and everybody's pleased when it's over and done with and you can look forward to the next 12 months of just doing what you do anyway. But you know, there will come a time when we will stand in front of the one who made us The one who created us to be just the way and just the shape we are and gave us just the skills he gave us and the spiritual gifts and gave us a job to do. And he will say to us one or two things. Either I gave you a job to do, I gave you the skills to do it, and you basically just squandered them and loafed around. Or perhaps he'll say, I gave you a job to do. I gave you skills. I gave you talents. I gave you spiritual gifts. And you took those and you multiplied them and you honed them. And your life wasn't easy and it was difficult and a load of rubbish stuff happened. But throughout all of that, you took what I'd given you and you worked your socks off. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads. And pray. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us in your image. You have made each one of us different and you have given each one of us different skills and different personalities and different passions and we thank you for that. We recognise as well that you have given each and every one of us different things to do and we pray that as we go out and we leave our homes on a Monday morning and we seek to do what you have laid in front of us, that by your Holy Spirit, we would honour you, not just on a Sunday morning at church when there's other people looking at us, but in the quiet times, in the private times, when it's just you and us, that you would help us to honour you and bring glory to you, no matter what our circumstances and no matter what we're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.